Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Happy Palm Sunday. I was, I was reflecting during that last song that Keith was singing, and sometimes I just like to just not sing for a couple of reasons. One, because I have a horrible voice. And two, I just like to listen to people worship, man. And I was thinking, I didn't say it to Keith, but I mean, this like calendar year, well, not really calendar year, but starting kind of Christmas, I, I'm almost getting to preach the greatest hits because you were, you, you got sick at Christmas and I had to step in at Christmas. And while it's not quite Easter, it's Palm Sunday. And I found that as much as I love Easter, I love Palm Sunday too. And here's the reason why. Let me tell you, I'm going to break this down for you. Generally, as people, we love the big climactic event, right? We, we love the winning touchdown. We love the winning shot. Like if you're, if you're like Keith and I, you've been glued to your TV this week, watching March Madness, just praying that your team hits the shot, right? Abilene Christian, come on. I was the only one on church staff to call that one. We love the big events where all the excitement happens. But as I've gotten older-ish, I'm not going to say, oh, as I've gotten old, my kids would say that I'm old. But as I've gotten older-ish, I find that while the is awesome, I love what I, today I'm calling the moments before, the in-between moments. It's kind of where you read and there's a comma and then something happens and there's a comma and then it goes on. And we have a tendency as a people to, to skip past the moments in between and we focus on sometimes the bigger things. And, and, and this week we're going to give you an opportunity to reflect and worship and pray about some of those in-between moments that happen that we don't always think about. We've got, as Pastor Keith said earlier, starting on Thursday from noon to eight. And I want to invite you, please come and pray through the Stations of the Cross. It will be a time of personal reflection whereby which you get to think about what Jesus did for you. Not some distant thing that is just written about in history books that's the, that, we, that we just think about. No, it has practical today implications for your life. Then the Good Friday services that you can choose from, either 6 or 7.30. It's so good and I'm so excited. I will be at both. But pick one, come. And then Saturday evening at, 12, or at 5.30 in Middleton, we're going to start the Easter celebration. We're going to kick it off a day before you guys. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And then Sunday morning, Easter morning, we have our three services here, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And then we're going to finish the day off at 2 o'clock with our Grace Latino service. And so here's my thing. Here's my personal invite to you. Pick one, pick two, pick three. Go to all three campuses. It's going to be awesome. As we celebrate what Christ did. But today... Can we just spend the next little bit looking at the before? Is that okay with you guys? Even if it's not, we're going to do it because I have the microphone. So, just wake up. Are you guys ready? Let's go. Thank you. Yeah. There's a lot that happens in the before. We don't think about it sometimes because like in Matthew, the before happens from like 1 through 11 and then the big thing happens from 11 to the end of the chapter. There's some distance, but there's a lot of really cool things that happen in the week leading up to, the, to, to Holy Week, which starts today. Let me give you a few of them and let's, let's challenge maybe some time perception that you have. Remember that little story where Jesus says, let the little children come unto me? 
That happens this week, like before Palm Sunday, like Thursday, Friday of last week, leading up to Palm Sunday. Here's some other things. Lazarus is raised, in the, raised from the dead the week before Holy Week. Growing up, I always thought it was like year one of Jesus' ministry, but it, it happens right before. Remember that interaction that Jesus has with the rich young ruler? where he comes to him and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. And he says, I've done that since I was a youth. And he goes, you lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and follow me. And he goes away sad because he had great wealth. Happened like Thursday or Friday of last week. John and James arguing about who will be first in the kingdom. We little Zacchaeus up in the tree right before Holy Week. There's a lot of really cool things that happen in the before. But today, I want to look at a guy that happens right before Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And he's a desperate guy. Anybody here ever desperate for anything? Am I the only one? I see a couple of hands. You're the only, only few honest people in the room. As I was getting ready for this uh, message, I was going... Man, what's the most desperate thing that we've ever been through as a family? And stuff, sorry, man, I started ticking things off the list. I was like, check this, check this. Yeah, that was pretty. And then I had to go back almost nine years and like four months ago. And my youngest daughter, Harper, now I know a lot of you don't know Harper. So I have, I have a picture. Can I show you a picture of my youngest daughter? There's Harper. This is the moment where everybody goes, aww. There we go caused one of the most desperate times in our household. Now, it was about nine years and four or five months ago, and she just turned nine in February. So do the math. My wife, Becky, is still pregnant with Harper when this happens. And you're going, medical emergency? No, it wasn't anything like that. See, on a Wednesday evening, we had gone to some friend's house to have dinner. And like any good person that brings you over, they had, you know, a smorgasbord, of food laid out for you. And one of the items was this, I mean, I, it's, I, in looking back in the memory, there's like this light from heaven shining down on it. <laughs> Angels floating around is this cheese ball <laughs> with some crackers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? And we had that cheese ball and it was really good. If you can't tell by looking at me, I love me some cheese ball. <laughs> but my wife, pregnant with Harper, on a Friday night at about 11 o'clock, decided that she really needed a cheese ball to eat. The craving hit her, and she started going, I need a cheese ball. I, gotta, I need a cheese ball. Jason, can you go find one for me? And so I get in the car, and I go to the place that has everything. I go to Walmart. They lied. They don't have a cheese ball. <laughs> I go to Albertsons and like the special deli place, right? No cheese ball. I go to every grocery store in the Rupert, Burley, Twin Falls area. Nothing. And I call my wife and I say, sweet wife. She's right over there. So you guys can all look at her. Second row. <laughs> I'm in trouble for that one. I said, there's no cheese balls anywhere. And she's in tears. Ladies, you know how it is when you're pregnant, you get the craving, you have to have it. And her desperation led me to do something that I never thought that I would ever, ever, ever have to do. I called the neighbor who we went to have dinner at one o'clock in the morning. 
do you guys have an extra cheese ball? <laughs> we do. So I went and got the cheese ball and I was the hero and I'm claiming it still today. <laughs> we laugh, right? It's silly, we should. But I wonder how many of us today are desperate for something in our lives. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's just to keep a job. Maybe it's for peace in your home. Maybe it's a restored relationship with a, with a child or a sibling. Maybe if you're single, it's just a relationship. You just are so desperate to find that one that everything else loses meaning as you look for that one person in your life. And here's what I know as I look at life and as I read scripture and as I understand, as I understand it, we all walk with the limp. We're all messed up. We all got a problem. We are all at some level desperate for something. And today we're going to look at a, we're going to look at a story in, in Mark chapter 10. If you have your, your physical Bibles or if you have a digital Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to look at a story of a man that's desperate. And we're going to learn about four, we're going to have four lessons that we can learn from this desperate man. And as we read, we're going to see that he's not, he's not, he's not just recently become desperate. He's living in a place of desperation. His life is marked by this desperation. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, read along with me. And you're going to have to, before we start reading, just prepare yourself. This is going to be like a tennis match at Wimbledon. There's going to be Bartimaeus, and then we're going to look at Jesus, and then Bartimaeus, and, and it's going to be kind of this back and forth that happens between Bartimaeus and Jesus, and then there's a third group that takes place in here, and it's the crowd. And we're going to learn something from all three of them, okay? You guys ready? Got your sermon guides? Got your Bibles? All right, let's dive in. Starting in verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, Mark's not big on the description there, right? They showed up, something happened, and now they're leaving, with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, comma, a blind beggar. An in-between moment is about to happen. The son of Timaeus. Now, Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. Thanks a lot for the creativity, Dad. You've named me son of Timaeus. Cooper, you're welcome. You're not son of Jedediah. Where was I? Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside... Probably something that he did every day, begging and asking people for help. He's sitting there just like any normal day. And this rustle starts to happen. You can feel the, the ground begin to tremble. The birds start to take noise and take flight. Bar dogs start to bark. Because something different is happening today that hasn't happened before. Somebody's coming by. Bartimaeus is maybe going, who is it? Who is it? Verse 47, he finds out who it is. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I wonder how many of us here today Walking with a limp, desperate for something, cry out for mercy, and we have somebody tell us to be quiet. 
The first lesson that we learn from this desperate man is this, that people desperate for Jesus don't let anything get in the way. People desperate for Jesus don't let anything get in the way. Being blind didn't matter to him. Didn't let it get in the way. Crowds telling him to be quiet all yell louder, Son of David, have mercy on me! Socially distance. About 85% of the heads just popped up when I said that. That's familiar right now, isn't it? He was socially distanced. He was blind. He was a beggar. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. He didn't let that get in the way. A person desperate for Jesus doesn't let get anything get in the way. We see here in this interaction, right? Let's, let, let's look at it again. Starting in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he understood. Hey, Jesus, that's the guy that, that raised Lazarus from the dead. He's healed blind people before. He's healed lame people before. He's healed people that have been, had demons and he's cast them out. This guy, Jesus of Nazareth, can be the person that changes everything for me. See, Bartimaeus was desperate for a change in his life, and he recognized Jesus as the person that could change everything for him, and he didn't let anything get in his way. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a nationalistic messianic term, Jesus, son of David. What he's saying there, he's recognizing Jesus as the Messiah of the nation of Israel. And it's important that we note that because it's going to change in just a few verses. So just lock that away in the back of your head that he's using this nationalistic term for the nation of Israel, son of David, in reference to Jesus as the Savior of the nation, okay? It's important, but he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the people, the crowd, tell him to be quiet. Mark is really nice when he says the crowd because the crowd that's following Jesus includes his disciples. And you'll remember another story that we referenced, suffer the little children to come under me. Who told him to keep the children away? It was the disciples, this crowd is people that would have been following Jesus. They would, have, they would have counted themselves as Jesus' followers. And what we can see here, and this is not in your notes, man, but what I, when I read this is religion's really quick to tell people what they should do. Bartimaeus, be quiet. Bartimaeus, you should have tried harder. Bartimaeus, you shouldn't have sinned when you were a little kid. You'd still have your sight. Or your parents shouldn't have sinned. Then you'd still have your sight. Bartimaeus, if, you just, if you'd be quiet and just let us get by and get back to your life, you need to do this or do that. And what we're going to see, Jesus doesn't tell Bartimaeus what he should do. He meets Bartimaeus in love right where he's at. But people desperate for Jesus don't let anything get in the way. And in the very next verse, 49, we're going to see an invitation. We're going to see two words that change everything for Bartimaeus. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. Man, when I read that, I know one thing for sure, and it's the second thing on your sermon guide. It's this, that when Jesus enters the story, everything changes. 
When Jesus shows up on the scene, everything changes. And when Jesus stopped and said, call him, and they called to the blind man, that's the crowd, and said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. You guys just see what happened right there? The very same people that are telling him to be quiet are like, hey, take heart, he's calling you. The only reason I'm depressed is because you were telling me to shut up. What do you mean take heart? I had heart when I was calling him. You're telling me to be quiet, and now you're like, hey, take heart, I've got good news for you. Jesus wants you to come up there to him. Well, thanks for nothing. Again, religion's quick to tell people what they should do. But Jesus in love is going to meet Bartimaeus right where he's at. We read that verse. And they call to the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, and he is calling you. And dude, we see the crowd flip-flop. And if that didn't make, people are fickle. It will change from one moment to the next to suit maybe not their personal need, but maybe the public need of what's going on today. And if I believed everything that my mama said about me when I was going to grow up, I'd be the president of the United States. I'd be a billionaire right now. I'd have everything in the world. I'm not kidding. You're like, Rudy, uh, Rudy's looking at me like, where are you going with this? Here's the thing. I used to work for a company. I used to work for Hastings. And I was a manager there, and it was a fun company to work for. And I would work for him and, you know, chit-chatting with my mom and stuff like that. And she'd be like, Jason, I, man, you're going to be CEO of this company one day. That's what she said to me. Mom, if you're watching, I'm using a story. I didn't ask for your permission, but you'll forgive me anyways. <laughs> you're going to be CEO of this company one day, Jason. I just know it. I see it. I believe it. I'm claiming it for you. A week later, hey, mom, I took a job with another company. We're going to be moving back to Idaho. I always knew that company was not right for you. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It happened to all of us, didn't it? Crowds are fickle. People are fickle. They will flip-flop. They will change. Verse 49, but Jesus stops every, can you just picture this? Everything stops. Jesus just strolling along. He just stops and says, call him. I just, the disciples stop walking. The birds stop flying. The dust settles down. This is a Hollywood movie. This is where the babies quit crying. Dude, everything is fixing to change for Bartimaeus because Jesus shows up in his world. His world's about to get rocked. Man, let's keep going. I can't wait. <laughs> Here we go. 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Here's the third thing that we learned from a person, a lesson from a desperate man is this, that an invitation demands a demonstration of faith. An invitation demands a demonstration of faith. Jesus gives Bartimaeus an, an invitation. He says, call him. Tell him to come here. Tell him to come up here to me. And we're going to watch and we're going to see Bartimaeus' demonstration of faith. Are you ready for this? This is huge. This is big. This is awesome. It is throwing off his cloak in verse 50. He sprang up and came to Jesus. That's the coolest thing ever. And you're like, how is that? He just throws on his hand you're like, what's a jacket? It's like nothing. I got 15 in my closet. None of them fit me anymore. I just buy a new one. Man, Bartimaeus' cloak meant everything to him. 
Like history would teach us that the cloak is not just something that he wears for warmth and protection, but it would have been like a sleeping bag at night. He would have slept in his, co- his cloak. It, when he was traveling, he would have taken all of his worldly possessions and, and packed them up into his, his cloak if it wasn't too cold to, to carry them along. It meant everything. And he flings it away. He's all in on this Jesus guy healing him because what happens if it doesn't turn out? He's still blind and he can't find his cloak, y'all. He's blind. He can't see. He just threw it into a crowd of thousands of people. He is all in. How many glasses wearers do we have in the audience? Now, don't lie. Raise them loud and proud. Half my family. You guys ever had that moment, Keith just took his off, you ever had that moment where you get up in the middle of the night and you're like, you gotta have a drink of water or something, you can't find your glasses and you're stumbling through your house? It happened to me last night. I had to get up and get a drink of water and stubbed my toe on a play horse that was in the bedroom. I think it was a horse, it was something. But I'm, I'm half blind, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, not even blind, I'm half blind and I can't see anything. And I'm, when you go walking around like that, you're like this, right? You're really slow, you're like, can barely see anything. What is that? And you're just slowly walking. Bartimaeus, who is totally blind, jumps up, throws his cloak into the crowd, and I just, you just see him beeline sprint straight to Jesus. Can't you just picture it in your mind's eye? He is all in. He ain't gonna waste any time. He can't wait. Man, I can barely make it from 10 feet from my bed to the bathroom without my glasses. Bartimaeus is sprinting to Jesus through a crowd of people. Oh, to have the faith of a blind man. God, forgive me when I doubt you. Now it's the moment of truth. Bartimaeus has yelled his head off. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's thrown his worldly possessions away. He's gotten rid of any and everything that could encumber him. Anything that would keep him from getting to the feet of the Savior. The person who can meet his most desperate need. He's standing in front of Jesus. In verse 51. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do? to do for you. And the blind man, Bartimaeus, said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Give us a gut-riching moment. Jesus. Y'all, he's literally, he's like 16 miles away from walking into Jerusalem. That's the distance from Jericho to Jerusalem. I'm a half a day's journey away. And he stops for a blind beggar on the side of the road. Has this interaction. Brings Bartimaeus right in front of him and says, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And it, man, just in a moment of gut wrenching honesty. He says, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. And something really cool happens in those one, two, three, four, five, those six words. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Remember before when he was shouting, Jesus, son of David, and it was that national messianic term for the person of Jesus, the savior of Israel, that son of David. In that moment, he's recognizing Jesus as that. But when he says rabbi, the word that he uses in the original languages, it becomes a personal possessive, my Lord, my God. His faith becomes personal in that moment. And interestingly enough, that word is only used, Jesus was only called that by one other person in the New Testament, and it was Mary. But he has this personal interaction with the person of Jesus Christ. He gives him this honest, gut-wrenching answer. In verse 52, it says this, And Jesus said to him, Go on your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. We all shout, yes, amen, praise the Lord. Like this, we're a fist pumping in the air. The audience is going crazy. This is an amazing thing that has happened. And here's what we can learn from that. Is that when a desperate person has a personal experience with Jesus, nothing, nothing, nothing is ever the same. Bartimaeus' life is changed forever. Nothing is the same for him. It says that he immediately recovered his sight. This is what I love about the miracles of Jesus, right? If you're blind, and I don't know, we don't know how long he's been blind. Maybe from birth, maybe not. Anybody ever been in a really, really dark room? And then you go out into the sunlight and your eyes hurt because it's so bright. You're like, ah, I can't even looking at the lights up here. It hurts so bad. Part of me didn't experience any of that. Immediately he recovered his sight. He knew what the color blue was. He didn't have to learn what the color blue was. Think about it. If you've been blind your entire life and suddenly you have the ability to see, you don't know what blue is because nobody ever told you this is blue. You don't, this is kind of blue. You have to be taught what the color blue is or what the color red is or purple or what a bunny rabbit looks like or a cow or a butterfly. He didn't have to go through any of that. Instantaneously, he recovered his sight. He was healed completely. His world was never going to be the same. But it doesn't just stop there with the physical healing of, of Bartimaeus. Uh, church history would teach us, uh, if you look at all of the miracles of Jesus, very few of them are named. Very few of the people that Jesus heals are named. You can think about a few of them. Mary Magdalene is one. Bartimaeus is another. There's a, there's a few others. But church history would teach us that in Scripture, when someone has an interaction with Jesus and they're healed and their name is given, that means that they got saved. There was a, a personal conversion for them. It wasn't just a physical healing. There was a spiritual healing. And not only does church history kind of lead us to that, but but the actual language of this verse leads me to believe that Bartimaeus at this point becomes a born-again Christian following Jesus Christ, trusting even before it happened 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't know how it was going to work, but he trusted. Look at the language that it uses here. It says, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. First century Christians were known as what? Followers of the, the way. Everything changes for Bartimaeus. He recovers his sight. Spiritually is healed. When a desperate person has a personal experience with Jesus, nothing is ever the same. And so from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, four things that we learn about a, from a desperate man leads us all back to the cheese ball. <laughs> right back where we started. Listen, y'all, we all walk with a limp. Can we just be honest? We're all desperate for something. Some of us are better at hiding it than others. Really. Some of us are really good at hiding our desperation. We're really good at covering it up. We're really good at coming in on a Sunday morning and pretending like everything is fine. Like everything is okay. But we lay, our bed, we lay our heads on our pillows at night and we think to ourselves, if only, fill in the blank, this would happen, then everything would be okay. If only this would happen, then everything would be okay. Relationship, a job, money, brokenness to be healing. Maybe you're looking for a physical touch from, I don't know what it is. I do not know what you're desperate for today. Only you and the Lord knows what you're desperate for. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If what you're desperate for is not the person of Jesus Christ, then you'll never be satisfied and you'll never be filled. If you're chasing after something rather than someone, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what kind of job you get or how many zeros are at the end of your paycheck. You will never be satisfied because the only thing that can fill your desperation is the person in the presence of Jesus Christ living in your life. But here's the really cool thing. Jesus will be in your life and he'll stand right before you and say, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it doesn't always mean he's going to answer the way that you want. But he will answer. So here's what we're going to do on a Palm Sunday. Literally, right now, today, Jesus is standing here in this room. He's all over the place. He's everywhere asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Somebody in this room is desperate for Jesus to move in your life. Maybe it's for the very first time ever. And you're just like, I want to know more about this Jesus. We're going to put into practice right now one of the things that we just learned from Bartimaeus. An invitation demands a demonstration of faith. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Keith to come up. And I'm going to ask Burl to come up. And we're going to do us a good old-fashioned altar call on Palm Sunday, Okay. I'm going to pray for us. And if you find yourself in a place of desperation, you're like, I need prayer today. I am desperate. I want you to come up and we're going to pray for you. We've got people that are ready to meet with you. Like if every person walks up here, we'll have somebody ready to pray for you, okay? So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just, you keep your heads bowed. You can pray quietly where you're at. 
But an invitation demands a demonstration of faith. And I'm going to invite you to come up and be prayed for today. Father God, I want to thank you for today. God, even as we're, as we're here in person, uh, as people are watching online, God, this, this invitation is available for anybody right now where you're sitting. And so, God, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to quit talking here in about 30 seconds, and we're going to wait upon the Lord as you meet people where they're at in their desperation. God, we trust and believe and we know that you can do this.